You're listening to the Art of Move podcast, hosted by Dr. William Raybar and Anthony Manuel, where we attempt to create a grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and training. If you enjoy these episodes, you can watch them streamed live on nofilter.net, where you can interact directly and have all your questions answered in real time. Four, three, two, one, and we are on episode nine of the Art of Move podcast. I'm really stoked. It's me, Anthony Manuel, and William Raybar in Banff, Alberta, and Camor, Alberta. We are in the Canadian Rockies, trying to give you the grand unified theory of human biomechanics and movement, how we're supposed to move. And this is a fun episode today. We're going to be talking about our own personal training histories and how we came to the ideas that we're talking about in this podcast. Like, how did we start training? What was the journey that we took? What modalities did we try? What did we like? What did we not like? What messed us up? What helped us out? And uh, basically, what what should you do and what should you run for the hills from kind of thing, right? So um, we're going to dive right into it. No, I, I noticed that when I was listening to some of these podcasts, the intros can be super lengthy, but we're going to dive right into the meat and potatoes in it. Will, do you want to talk about your own personal journey into training and how it evolved over the years? Ooh, that's a loaded question, right? Like I can, <laughs> I'll start from the very beginning as a kid. Um, I felt like I was athletic in my body. I really uh, gravitated towards that naturally. So um, I played a lot of sports and then I discovered bodybuilding. That was my real introduction into the fitness world. Okay, so discovered bodybuilding. My brother did it. He was uh, 10 years older than me. So he had all the flex magazines, the uh, muscle and fitness if anyone's over you know 30 they know what those are um basically muscle men like arnold schwarzenegger like um you know big muscular guys that you look up to and you're like i want to be like that at that time that's the idol right so how do i do that yeah. i lift weight yeah. then you just start pumping weights and eventually that leads into powerlifting, uh crossfit where i am now okay but um I'd also like to hear a little bit about how you got into bodybuilding as well, because uh, yeah. maybe we can pivot off each other there, because that's really where the fitness journey started for me. Was it the same for you? So as a kid, I liked being athletic. I was put into gymnastics and I really excelled at it when I was really young. And then what happened was I just overate as a kid. They got fat, right? So I like I found sports I was the opposite I did not feel athletic in my body I felt like everything was a fight to move around and I didn't have a natural uh, tendency towards athletics but in high school you know at, at 15 for reference I weighed like 280 something pounds right I was very very overweight and I kind of hit my athletic stride playing football and rugby because I was this big massive kid they could throw his weight at these other kids and basically feel like he was finally athletically excelling at something, even if it absolutely wrecked me from, uh, you know, like it, it was like exhausting and I was always hurt and like I was always getting cramps and like it, it was hard. Um, but eventually, you know, at, at, I think I was like 17 or like at 15 when I looked down at the scale and I saw that like I was my all time heaviest at like over 280 pounds. I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, over the years, I started kind of like being curious about weightlifting and my brother had the opposite issue. My brother had, um, uh, sensory integration dysfunction and he, he wasn't naturally, he had like some basic, not muscular dystrophy, but he had like, he wasn't built naturally. He didn't have like strong structural musculature. We started working out and he started taking a bunch of protein powders and he started like 
and fit and feeling really happy. And I was watching him do this. I was like, dude, what are you doing? He said, here, I'll show you this website. And so he showed me uh, testosteronenation.com with, uh, you know, with all these like strength coaches. That's where Charles Poliquin used to post stuff. I discovered Chris John Thibodeau uh, and a lot of like, like Jim Wendler, the powerlifting guy, Dave Tate. What is Oh, I mean, like it was, it was like, I, I read every article that I could and then just became obsessed with that sort of hyper-masculine lifting culture where it was like, for a long time, I just thought that I was fat because I was fat. And then reading that stuff was, it was the sort of turning point where it's like, okay, different inputs in your body will like yield different outcomes. That was the first time that that registered for me. I was like, wait, I can change the way I'm eating. I can change behaviors that I'm doing. I can change the fact that I'm lifting and not, you know, and, and basically I, same thing. It was like, it was this hyper-masculine, uh, you know, the, I think their tagline is the relentless and intelligent pursuit of muscle. So it was a very muscular focus. And I was like, cool, I'm going to be lean. I'm going to be jacked. I'm going to be super fucking strong. Like these men who are yelling me, yelling at me on this website. And I became really, really hooked on that in particular. And I think for me, it was really empowering to find out that the choices that I made directly affected the outcomes that I was experiencing. And that was, that was how I got hooked on bodybuilding because it was the first time I really experienced that where it was like I felt self-empowerment through the choices I'm, I was making directly relating to the, the outcomes that I was experiencing in my life. And it, it increased my confidence and that became an integrated part of my identity. It was, it was like, wow, this is something that I can just work on and I get the results. And I seem to be really good at getting that result of hypertrophy of weight loss. Like I lost a hundred pounds. I was, you know, I, I quickly started squatting and deadlifting a lot more than my, you know, my colleagues at the gym that I ended up working at. Like I dropped out of university because I loved it so much and I became a personal trainer, right? Um, so from the ages of like between, I'd say like the ages of 15 to 20, like for those five years, it was like, I was obsessed with learning about bodybuilding and learning about strength training and learning about how to, how to be the best at that, because it was fascinating to me. It was like, wow, this is the most empowering thing. I learned this thing. I learned, I applied it and then I got a different result. And I just kept doing that over and over and over again. Mine was more for, uh getting better at sports. I thought it would do that. I had no methodology behind it. I was just, you know, <laughs> I saw Arnold. I'm like, that guy looks like he's athletic. So I'm going to do the things that Arnold did to get that body. Right. So there was no real thought process behind it. Also the aesthetics thing appealed to me. Um, you know, when you're hitting puberty and you're watching your own muscles grow, you're like, Whoa, this is crazy. You know? And then <laughs> applied that to, uh, weightlifting at the time I was, ahead of my time, I was one of the only kids, you know, 14 years old in the gym. So most people had no clue. And then, you know, a couple of years later, people started to figure out and go to the gym as well. So um, all throughout high school into university, we're talking like uh, till I was about 24, it's all bodybuilding. And yeah. through bodybuilding, you, the methodology really wasn't there for me other than looking at a magazine and saying, here's a reps and set scheme for back and buys, chest and tries, so you're parting out systems, and your system's thinking there is body parts. How can I isolate yeah. the body parts to get them bigger? And then my body will figure out how to, you know, integrate it together in a sport or something like that, right? Or real yeah. life. Yeah. I, I just didn't think that that wasn't the case. 
but I should have known when I watched the biggest bodybuilders walk around the gym, they look like they're the stiffest people in the gym. Yeah. It's brick, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's never really supple looking bodybuilders walking around a gym. Okay. So that should have been my first clue. And, uh, athletes never really look like bodybuilders. That should have been my second clue. But again, as a kid, you kind of, the first thing you go for is really what happens. Right. So it's interesting. Maybe it was the times, maybe it's not like that anymore, but, um, I think during our era and even, you know, into the forties, people in their forties, that was the, the thing to do. Totally. And I mean, you know, I did learn a lot through bodybuilding, like body awareness, first of all, was one of the things that I learned, even though you are isolating, I found the isolating component and the conscious effort of trying to contract these certain parts of your body as tight and as, as, as much as you can, that allowed me to have an awareness throughout my whole body. You know, it's like, I could isolate my biceps. I could isolate my quads. I could isolate my glutes. I could isolate my pecs. But in the, the actual effort to do so, like it wasn't easy for me to do that because I had no body awareness. I had no relationship to my, my, my body in, in any sense of the word other than like, I'm hungry and I need to piss or something, you know, like it was like, I know, I know I didn't really have, so, so it helped me develop a more nuanced awareness of my body, even if it wasn't in an isolated way. Um, and powerlifting kind of did the same thing. I, I gravitated away from bodybuilding more towards powerlifting because powerlifting was easier for me. Um, I still had aesthetic, you know, sort of inclinations. So I didn't do through the whole, like, you know, when I powerlifted, I ate 4,000, 5,000 calories a day kind of thing. I wasn't trying to get as huge and like have that powerlifting belly, but like I wanted to be as strong as humanly possible. I ended up, you know, deadlifting close to 500 pounds, squatting 455 pounds and, and, you know, like getting like really strong. And that taught me, you know, how, how tension produces force. And that also helped like made me more body aware because if I had a loose part in my chain, then my lift wasn't good or I would, you know, I would fall apart or I'd injure myself. And so I developed body awareness through that. And I developed the ability to focus on parts of the chain as well. And that's useful even, uh, you know, even as we moved in approach where we're focusing more on gait mechanics and, and, and just human biomechanics in general, if there's a part of your chain that's a little out of whack, if you see yourself, if you film yourself, you're noticing, okay, this part of my chain is, uh, is a little out of whack and you need to isolate that. That's actually really, that's a useful skill to have. I still to... use isolation. I use it very little, but um, I don't know if you've heard of Ben Pakulski before he's a bodybuilder and he, he really works on angles and how to isolate um so let's say you're working on a, a shoulder if you move it in a certain angle it's going to isolate certain bands of muscles i use that mm -hmm. more for feeling so it's more of an isometric hold i'll do i hold certain yep. positions and i feel the muscle contracting and i move it through its range of motion but it's not a large part of my training anymore i would say it's more i do it at night just to feel my muscles um, if something's feeling off in my body, I can use it to feel that portion of my body. Um, but that's, and a little bit of loaded stretching. So as I contract, yeah. I can also stretch a, a part of the body and that feels good. It pulls on the connective tissue. It just gives it a stimulus, right? Kind of like a cat stretch, a loaded cat stretch going in your full range of motion, just feeling the muscle contracting as hard as it can and pulling yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And in terms of 
powerlifting, I think the most value I got there was um, learning how to tense my body, making it super, super strong. And that is a good skill to have, to know your center, to know how strong you can be, um, to have control of your nervous system, even though it goes way too much in the tightened direction, like yeah. have your nervous system as high as possible. Um, so that was the value there, right? Um, it did make my fascia really tense and tight. Yeah. Okay, so that was a disadvantage. It made me think unilaterally. So your motions become blocky, blocked like Lego man training. Yeah. Tim mm -hmm. calls it Lego man training, right? It's like you're, because you're lifting weights in that linear plane, your motions start becoming linear. Even when I'm, you know, punching and boxing, it's a big rotation out of my body versus like a quick snap, right? Um, yeah. It's harder to move in more nuanced ways when your body is so tense all the time. So that's one of the negatives that uh, powerlifting got me or brought me. Um, what else? I mean, we can go on about, uh, um, let's say, CrossFit. Yeah. yeah well, powerlifting, maybe it'll come back to me. Yeah, because because so, so for 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 me, I I got more into powerlifting once I became a personal trainer, and a lot of the people, a lot of the coaches that I was working with were also into powerlifting, right? And I, I agree, the the total body tension element and the ability to see how strong you can actually be when you're radiating, if you tense your core, you tense your glutes, and you irradiate, like, you know, even like high-level gymnasts use that technique for strength when they're doing, you know, crazy movements like the Iron Cross and stuff. But it was because it was so in a uniplanar um, movement pattern you're just working in the sagittal plane and in a limited range of motion too like a deadlift off the floor isn't a huge range of motion for your hips and hamstring right um it depends it's who you are not... and what your dimensions are right like yeah um, yes the bar is really arbitrary it's it's like who designed how far the bar and the would go off the floor and the plates would be you know that's that's a very arbitrary thing you're most of the time in real life you're picking up an awkward object from the ground or something like that. So even with powerlifting, if I was to do it again, it would be more strongman style, more yeah, like totally. a quote unquote functional bodybuilding. At this point, it's not really an interest in, to me, but if I did, it would be more like that. And I mean, the, the, like basically what I, what, what I came to in that same thing, that blocky movement, that Lego man thing, I experienced that really, really intensely where it's like, if I tried to, bend over to tie my shoes, it was like I had to catch my breath when I came up afterwards. Like I was so fucking tight that just basic stuff was was tough. My movement was blocky. I couldn't run for the life of me because every time I was running, it was just like pounding the pavement because of how inefficient my movement through my hips and thoracic spine were. Like it was literally just relying on the pure output of my legs to propel me forward. And th that was, uh, you know, I was, and I was working at this gym and one of the girls who worked at the front was a circus uh, performer. She was like really into acrobatics and juggling and stuff. And she's like, Hey, I want, I want you to check this guy out. I think you'd be really into him. She pulls up this video of Ido Portal. This is like in 2000 and uh, 2010 or 2011, I want to say. So this is like almost 10 years ago. She pulls up this video of Ido Portal and he's doing these like one hand one hand handstands and crazy movements on the rings and all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, wow, this guy can move. Like, this is really, really interesting. And I was, I was in my body. I was feeling pretty jacked up. 
I had like, I had injured my back really badly from messing up a, like a, a rack pull. And, uh, and I just, I wasn't in good shape, right? Like I wasn't like in, and when I say in good shape, I literally mean like my body was really, really jacked up and I was super, super tight. And I saw this guy, you know, Portel, and I kind of like, I, I sort of compartmentalized it for a second because I was still very, very much like, okay, well, I still want to be strong. I still want to lift weights. Like this guy's not into lifting weights. It doesn't look like, so I'm just, I, you know, cool dude, but not my style. Right. So I just kind of put that on the back burner, but after however many years of, of getting jacked up, I was like, I needed to do something else. And my body was like, it was craving a different stimulus. Right. And that was around the time that I ended up moving back to Banff. I, I had like switched from powerlifting to kind of bodybuilding and I was doing some circuit style stuff. And I was like kind of dabbling in some of the CrossFit stuff that I saw. So I was doing more like CrossFit style rep schemes with a lot of the movements that I was doing, like pull-ups and I was, but I was doing everything strict and I wasn't doing actual CrossFit. Um, and at that point I decided it was like, you know what, like I'm going to, I'm going to take a break from this for a while. I'm going to move to Banff. This is the, this is 2014. Now I moved to Banff and I stopped lifting weights pretty much altogether. And I started hiking mountains. I, I literally was just hiking all the time and I didn't lift weights at all. My body felt pretty good. Um, and I started doing yoga. Um, this was like around the time that I started doing yoga. I had a friend, the friend that I hiked with all the time was very into yoga. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, like my body is not meant to do yoga at all because I'm super stiff, but maybe it'll be a nice thing. And I, you know, I, this is like, like my version of taking care of my end range was like, I would foam roll for an hour every day. And that was about it. Like I, it, like with a shitty beat up soft foam roller. <laughs> and like, I was not someone who, who, who took a lot of, um, mind into training end ranges or training anything but i started doing yoga and my body started feeling really really then for you what was your what was your transition like you you were in bodybuilding and powerlifting what did you transition into um yeah like it, it was always a little bit of both i i would have said maybe around 25 i was more of a functional power lifter right so I emphasize the squat, the deadlift, the overhead press, and the bench press, and I get really good at those, and then I can go and do my thing and go run or whatever, right? Um, so I was really emphasizing that for a while, and uh, it, it was really the switch to CrossFit. Really, when I started doing a little bit more uh, mixing in the heavy lifts with the cardio, I was like, this is a different element. This is a whole new thing, right? And I'd look at the power lifters, and I'd say, do I actually want to end up like a power lifter? Like if I'm a really good yeah. power lifter, I'm going to be really stiff for the rest of my life. So I actually took a turn and said, oh, actually, you know, CrossFit is for firefighters and police and people who actually have to do things. It is to me at that time, that was functional. That was what I would define as function, right? Actually doing something and having to, you know, put the, uh, your money where your mouth is and actually do it when you're tired and I wasn't thinking biomechanics so much at that time. I was thinking more physiological where it's like, this yeah, makes yeah. so much sense to do multiple, what is it? Multiple domains over broad time or something like that. Right. Where mm -hmm. it's, um, you're doing a lot of different things and you're tired and your body's going to find a way to do it. Right. And that's yeah. what makes you fit. Okay. So I remember, I remember too, like, that was like my mom's criticism, you know, as, as someone who doesn't work out at all, right? Like my mom has no athletic inclination whatsoever, but she would watch all my powerlifting and stuff. She's like, yeah, that's cool. But 
how does that translate to real life? Like my mother who didn't know anything about, she's like, cause she, she, she grew up around farmers and she knows people who have like actual, like, you know, working man strength who had like a ton of work capacity. It's like, Hey, you can do that. But like, you're, you're only, and, and that was also, you know, that was one of the realizations for me too, getting into CrossFit later on was that, okay, cool. This, this is, this is not just a test of what can you do when the conditions are ideal. What, what's your output when your conditions are perfect? It's like, how far can you push yourself and how prepared are you in any given situation? And that, that again, like you said, from a physiological perspective, it makes a ton of sense, right? Do you yeah. switched from, you switched from that sort of power, you, you looked at, I did the same thing, by the way, I looked at how powerlifters were and I'm like, I could be really good at this, but Just, do I want to be? <laughs> I know. Um, so for powerlifting and running, I intuitively, like every time I got good at powerlifting, I got bad at running. Okay. So I didn't realize this at the time, but my body was just a block while I was trying to run. I, I think my natural gait is fairly efficient and injury proof. Okay. It's kind of a, like if we're talking go to, it would, I think naturally look like that. When I was powerlifting, I bet my feet were duck feet. Okay. Um, Cause my body was so tense and so tight. Um, at what point, this is just like a side question. At what point does, you know, becoming a really powerful power lifter make you less efficient at running? Or what, where's the sweet spot of the claim? You know what I mean? Because the claim usually is you will be better at athletics. Hey, stop. You'll be better at athletics when you're more powerful and they use powerlifting methods to do so. So where's the line where it makes you a better runner? Is it just the physiological adaptation of getting your central nervous system to go higher? Or is it the actual physical uh, power you're getting from the movement itself, right? It's an interesting question. Yeah, it's an interesting, it is an interesting question. question. That was just something that popped into my head as we were uh, going on there about uh, CrossFit. Sorry to go off on that tangent there, but I'll bring it back to, to CrossFit. Another thing that I liked, okay, was uh, the skills learning, okay? So learning gymnastic skills, um, learning just so many different types of skills, it becomes interesting. You go online, Kelly Starrett has, you know, um, a tutorial video on how to do this more efficiently. It's like, oh, that's brilliant, you know? And then there's a whole bunch of people that show you how to do things better and better and better. And you become more efficient at it, which feels amazing. And you put it in the context of a workout, also amazing, right? But again, I didn't have the, is this actually what we're designed to do mentality behind it? It was more like, right. can I perform the best at the moment with my body using these multiple exercises, which mimic real yeah. life? This is function in my mind at the time. And that's, uh, you know, like from, from a physiological perspective, you could say that CrossFit is functional fitness um, because it helps you be prepared for situations where you would need that extra work capacity specifically. The work, like the, like work capacity is a functional thing, right? Work capacity within the context of certain movements that are not inherently functional. Like I don't know when you would be throwing a 25 pound up at a wall for an hour in, in life. I don't know why I want to like, you know, maximize your efficiency in, in wall balls necessarily for, for a pure functional perspective. Like when are you throwing stuff up that process? The thought process behind that would be 
you got to get good at squatting because squatting is one of the fundamental patterns that everyone says is the fundamental pattern, right? So if you do more squats, then you should be better at squatting. Everybody needs squats. You got to get up and down from the toilet, you know, like that sort of argument behind it where mm -hmm. it is a, a movement used every day. So why not be amazing at it? But in reality, I think that we're probably not meant to squat hundreds of times up and down. We're meant to use it as a landing position to absorb, coming in and absorbing things. Mm -hmm. it, it's interesting because I, I had a I had a big gap between um, powerlifting and CrossFit, really big gap where I was focused on yoga. I was very very into the yoga practice. I was very attracted to the philosophy at the time. Um, many years throughout my 20s, I was drawn to Eastern philosophy and the yoga philosophy seemed to make the most sense to me because it, it was it was logically laid out and it was a process as opposed to, and it didn't have a, it had some spiritual fluff to it, but it also was basically just a practical way for you to look at your psyche and to think better, essentially, to, to control how you think and to be discerning about your thoughts. And I thought that was a very useful thing. And so I was drawn to that. And the yoga practice for me was almost this like physical metaphor for this philosophy that I was following. And it was really interesting because like, wow, like I'm twisting, I'm stretching my hamstrings, like I'm getting all this range that I never had. And, uh, and for a while I felt really good. And what I loved about the yoga practice was the breath work specifically and the mindfulness in which you moved from one pose into another. What I didn't like about yoga was the fact that I was getting injured more in yoga than I was in powerlifting. Like I had more neck injuries, back injuries, knee injuries, uh, hip funny stuff happening. Like just so much crap happening with my body in the years that I did yoga that like eventually I just, I, I was really frustrated. I was like, I don't think the physical practice is actually that great. And I moved away from it, but I but I loved the way I was dealing with all this end range stuff, and I loved moving around, and that was the first taste of of movement that I had outside of the box of you know squat, deadlift, bench press, or or isolation movements that I was like, man, like I still want to do this. And I remembered the Edo Portel guy, and I was like, oh, cool. Like so, I started watching. I went back and I tried to find the video that she had showed me years ago, and then I tried to look him up. He had started this whole movement culture thing where he had some info on his training. I started doing cool gymnastics ring stuff. So I started, you know, trying to learn gymnastics rings. I was still uh, going to the gym a little bit and I was still, but, but then my, my gym sessions were like, maybe I would do a squat, maybe I would do a deadlift. Then I would also do headstands and some uh, gymnastics ring work and I would do some locomotion crawling movements. And I would just, I would, I would focus on, you know, the Edo Portal method, so to speak. Um, I didn't know, I didn't take any courses with him. I just kind of was looking and imitating what I saw for a long time. And then I got really good at the gymnastics ring. You could do little gymnastics rings routine, like muscle ups to a handstand to, you know, different like levers and all these different things. I took uh, Christopher Sommer's gymnastics bodies program course, which is like super, super extensive. And that, that sort of helped me become even more supple in my own body. Um, but I, I, I kind of shifted, you know, I, I injured myself so much in yoga that I, but I still wanted to have that end range. I wanted to have that sort of acrobatic strength, that movement oriented strength. 
and I gravitated more towards gymnastics and more towards the Ido Portal stuff. And what I found interesting about Ido Portal was that, yeah, he did have a lot of uh, fascinating gymnastics stuff and a lot of fascinating sort of feats of acrobatics, but a lot of it was, you know, even just learning how to articulate your joint properly and learning how to, you know, have strength in the end ranges. And, and a lot of the movement stuff that he did, he talked about spinal undulations, right? So how to, how to wave your spine. And I've never thought about waving my spine before because even in yoga, you might do a twist, you might do a back bend, but you're not focusing on like the undulation or the waving of your spine necessarily. So that was really cool. I kind of started to break out of my my little box of sagittal plane movement with yoga, with with the Edo Portal method, and with a little bit of gymnastics. Um, but even with that, you know, like I I ended up injuring myself. Like many people who followed the Edo Portal method, ended up injuring themselves. Like I had a really bad shoulder injury on the on the training because it was always you always have to move. You're no days off. Like your body's meant to move. Is this big hyper focus on no matter what you should be moving, even on the days where you get three hours of sleep. Like literally, I think someone said if you have like less than three hours of sleep and you're feeling exhausted and overtrained, those are the best days to train. I'm like, no, fucking isn't. <laughs> it's not. Um, so so there was a lot that was wrong with the the movement culture thing, but it helped me think about it helped me break out of this sort of uh, sagittal plane box that I was in, it helped me think about articulating my joints differently. One of the guys who I connected with, actually, um, his name is Julian Shavers. He, he took an Edo Portal certification course, and he happened to be the roommate of a friend of mine in Halifax. And I linked up with him, and we we had these big movement sessions, and he said, hey, like, I'm FRC certified. You want to go through the uh, you know the FRC curriculum with me, and we can we can look at all this stuff. And that was my also that was my introduction to FRC. And all of a sudden, it's like wow, joint articulation, flexibility. This is all these are all things that like are scientifically laid out. These are things that like instead of just you know Edo Portal's thing was just move. When I connected with Julie, and all of a sudden it was like okay, I can think in terms of just move, but if I want to actually like develop these patterns and develop these functions. There's a scientifically laid out path for me to do this. And, and I thought it was, you know, I thought it was FRC. I thought it was all the research on flexibility. I thought it was, uh, you know, you can look at high level gymnastics training and see how they treat tissue adaptation. And I thought there was this like, wow, okay, like I can, I can literally make my body do whatever I want if I, you know, focus on joint mechanics and if I gradually increase my tissue length, right? So that was, that was sort of, my my in-between phase of getting to a point where I was getting into CrossFit, like I had this strong gymnastics orientation phase and a strong phase where I was working a lot of my mobility before I ended up moving back to Banff. And the only gym that I could work at, the only gym that would, uh, would hire me on was a CrossFit gym. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to work at a CrossFit gym, I may as well learn to do CrossFit. So I, that's how I... The only reason I really got into CrossFit, I was ardently against CrossFit for a long time because I thought the high rep Olympic lifting thing was stupid. I thought that, uh, you know, doing doing a lot of these movements uh, in that high intensity, high repetition way was really unsafe and kind of dumb. Um, and that was, you know, that was, I was basically just parroting what I heard other coaches saying. It was other strength and conditioning coaches. Well, yeah, no, I agree with, like, Here's the thing. When you go into a CrossFit gym, you won't meet 
like people have the wrong conception if they've never been in one. People yeah. in CrossFit care about their movement more than any other gym, almost, okay? Especially for chain gyms. They're obsessed with how they're moving, right? They want to be more efficient. Um, CrossFit people in general are really helpful for each other. If you see someone doing something way off, most people, you know, somewhat correct them. Coaches are usually really good. So CrossFit actually, um, because I've spent so much time in CrossFit, when I go back to regular gyms, I'm like, wow, people are doing some wild stuff in here and there's no one to <laughs> tell them otherwise, right? So CrossFit really was the first place that combined the personal training on a higher level. Do you know what I mean? Like that you mm. can have a personal trainer who does everything for you, shows you how to work out, corrects your form, uh, basically promotes eating fairly well, you know, with paleo and uh, programs my workout. So I could just walk into the gym, do a functional workout with a whole bunch of variation. I can get my hour in and I can go home and I've had that functional movement, right? And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, CrossFit is, is great for that. But when you get to a certain point, um, you've done it for a long time, you're getting really good at the movements. It becomes sort of a dead end in terms of um, the next level of movement. If you wanna get better at movement, you have to lay out your priorities. For me, it, it was walking and running and being better at actual real life situations. And mm -hmm. I just knew another level, right? Like it could, I could get more specific. That's about the time I started looking into functional patterns. I was like, okay, this is more along the lines of where I want to go. And at that time, I was maybe like 30 years old. This is about like eight years ago. And uh, at the time I was looking into or had previously known about Tom Myers anatomy trains. And that really is uh, about fascial integration of your body, having all the tissues work together in what uh, functional patterns would call sling systems, which are just patterns of how your fascia develops. Anatomy trains had certain mapped ones out. Okay. So I think functional patterns followed anatomy trains and kind of said that this is how the human body's mapped. It's more, the secret is the fascia and how to integrate the fascia together in order to have better structure of your body. That appealed to me a little bit more. That was more along the lines of how I was thinking. I didn't know exactly how it was uh, the next level of it, but I liked the fact that let's make our body work together more like an athletic movement and we can do it through uh, changing how the fascia integrates together. So that was kind of like the next level thought process after CrossFit, not just doing functional movements, but making sure my body is more specifically adapting to functional motions. Right. So it was, it was a move, it was a move away from just the functional physiology component as in the adaptations of work capacity and the ability to, you know, perform under stress and under load. Um, and more towards the actual patterns that you are training to be a more functional style. Yeah. So in CrossFit, it usually goes a couple different ways. If you're competing, you're doing a lot of like, you're not actually doing the wads normally or the workout of the day. You're kind mm -hmm. of programming yourself and doing your own Olympic lifting and you're kind of combining it together, right? And then there's the more advanced CrossFitter who's not competing. That's kind of where I was at, right? I, I did a little bit of side competitions and stuff, like very easy stuff, but not, but I was still pretty strong and 
didn't have great range of motion in my shoulders. So it stopped me from doing handstands and handstand pushups without pain or, you know, overhead pressing, always painful. And again, that was at the time FRC, I was looking into that heavily combined with uh, functional patterns and anatomy trains. Again, like you, I said, I could take each joint and work it individually. That will be more intelligent to redesign my body or reprogram my body into more of a health mode, right? Versus a performance mode. So mm. now I can think about it and work my shoulders all day. Uh, functional range conditioning style where I just take the joint and move it gently in its range of motion and try to play with the end ranges. Okay. And get really specific about controlling the end ranges in an isolated way. So that's what kind of how I segued away from CrossFit still in the fitness world, right? Yeah. FRC and functional patterns. It made a lot of sense at the time. I was really had a lot of inflammation around my shoulders and my uh, collarbone area and just getting weights off of it for a long time and just moving the joints gently eventually brought the inflammatory process down and I was able to better manage it from there. Now see, I, I got to a point in CrossFit that I was, I was similar to you. Didn't, I wasn't high level competitive at all, but I was going to, you know, I went to a competition and I was trying to get better at it. And there was a healthy amount of competition between, you know, everyone who worked at the gym, everyone was trying to push to their own next level. And I was trying to integrate all of the FRC and the mobility stuff and even movement culture stuff into my CrossFit training so that I could have the mobility and the joint stability to, to land in things like, you know, high, high rep snatches and these high rep Olympic lifts that you're doing over and over again. And I wanted to basically, I, I was, I was trying to, I was using that as a way to kind of manage all the pain that I was feeling and all the inflammation that I was feeling by training super fucking hard in CrossFit. And what I found was it was just like I was trying to, I was honestly just trying to keep up with how much I had to repair, how much damage I had to reverse. I was, I was putting so much wear and tear on my body and the, the, the FRC style stuff, the joint articulations, the mobility work, it all helped to a degree, but it was only a degree. And eventually it all caught up with me. I was, I was chronically exhausted. You know, you said you had adrenal fatigue at one point. I was, I was experiencing pretty intense adrenal fatigue. I was finding it harder to maintain the quality of my movements just because of how hard it, like how neurologically fatigued I was. And uh, it culminated in me having a really bad injury doing a snatch. I actually snapped my bicep tendon off of my shoulder labrum. Like I have a slap tear and I still, I'm still waiting to get surgery for it actually a year later. And, uh, and when that happened, I didn't realize how bad the injury was. And I thought, well, shit, like I injured myself. Uh, maybe I, I can't do CrossFit. Maybe my doctor is for it. I'm trying really, really hard to, to maintain my mobility. I'm really, trying really hard to get all my joint health in order. But maybe I can't do this. So I was looking for other solutions. I was like, well, do I go back to the Edo Portal stuff? Do I go back to yoga? No, yoga always do. I think yoga is ridiculous. Um, I got to a point where I just like lost all faith in yoga completely. But I, uh, I, I, had a friend who had sent me the link of a guy on Instagram named Lucas Aaron. He's from Halifax where I used to live and his Instagram handle is at range of strength. And his whole thing was he lifted weights, but he focused on flexibility. So he could squat, you know, close to 400 pounds, but he could also do the front and side splits. No problem. And his whole thing was like, Hey, like there's an intelligent way to develop flexibility. 
and flexibility is basically just strengthen your end range. It's the ability to control these extreme end ranges. And if you do that, you're going to be happy and healthy. And I'm like, well, shit, you know, like, I think I injured myself because I didn't have strength in my end range and my, in my snatch. So maybe if I follow this guy, you know, I'll be able to do all these athletic things that are these like these high flexibility things that I always kind of admired Ido Portal for doing. I'll still be able to squat heavy and uh, maybe it'll prep me better for if I want to throw in like a wad here and there, if I want to maintain some CrossFit stuff. So I, I ended up signing up for a, a three-month mentorship with him, a three-month program where he certified me in his method. And it was a lot of low, and, and at the time he was part of a, a conglomerate or like a, a sort of collaboration with knees over toes guy, like Ben Patrick, Egan Smith, uh, they're called ATG, they're called Athletic Truth Group now. At the time they were real movement. Lucas ended up separating from re, uh, real movement and then they became ATG. And Lucas is now just doing his own thing. He has his own platform called Range of Strength. But I learned so much in the Range of Strength course about flexibility that I, that I was kind of like, shooting in the dark about when I was trying to figure it out on my own, even though I'd read papers and though I'd read a bunch of stuff like his end range work was amazing. And I got to say that my body felt so good when I was doing that work, I was still squatting. I was still doing some other stuff. I couldn't press overhead and a lot of hanging stuff really hurt. Cause again, like my, my shoulder ligament was torn. So any like dead hang work was just out of the question for me at the time. But the the mobility gains that I got, the freedom in my body that I got. His whole thing was like, you want to develop freedoms, right? Like range freedoms, control freedoms. And you you can articulate your joints and stuff, but like unless you're developing the strength and the neurological awareness to like maintain load in these positions, then you're probably not going to, you know, be, be able to enjoy real freedom necessarily, right? So he he had a really nuanced and and very, very good approach to developing, uh, you know, flexibility that I called functional at the time. It wasn't just like that laxity uh, that I saw in a lot of yogis that could just like melt into these deep stretches. It was like you were, it was, you know, it was very brace the core power. He, he had a powerlifting background too. Flexibility there actually help you in real life? Like in real life motions, did you get better at running? Did you get better at anything in real life? Did it, did you notice it? I didn't test it. But when I was doing my day-to-day stuff, like my back wouldn't get sore when I was sitting chairs for long. Uh, I didn't have hip pain, you know, maybe a little bit when I was doing my extreme end range for middle splits. But, I, but again, at this point, I still had it in my head that, you know, functional movements were your ability to do these basic patterns, right? I wasn't thinking about gait. I wasn't thinking about locomotion. I wasn't thinking about how well I could run. Um, and I'd be really interested, you know, I kind of want to test, like now that I've been doing so much go to stuff and I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to get better at running. Once I have a baseline where I feel like I'm pretty comfortable at running, I'd like to try some of Lucas's stuff again and see, does that actually help? My guess is that like, probably not like doing the middle splits is not going to help you run like full yeah, stop. I don't, I don't think like so either. Um, but I got to say when I was doing it, like that was that was one of the best that I had ever felt in my, in my entire body, because it was focusing on a lot of, you know, there was a lot of static stretching. There was a lot of um, loaded movements through a, through an exaggerated end range. There was a lot of hanging and brachiation work. Um, and there was just, you know, like my body felt really, it, it was basically all the gluing together that I did of my body and my fascial tissues and all these, all these other things that I did through years of lifting and CrossFit. And even the, 
even I'll say gymnastic stuff, like a lot of my lat binding came from doing lever work. You know, like I had really, really tight lats from doing a ton of pull-ups and muscle-ups and levers. Um, I unglued my body in a really powerful way. And even my spine had a lot more freedom to move around because he also, uh, you know, helped me get into back bends. And so I had the flexion and extension of my spine was dramatically increased. He focused on side bends. So my side bending was better. So, you know, if we're talking about a spinal engine thing, like, you know, maybe, maybe a middle split wouldn't help you run faster or run better, but because I had so much more mobility through my core and through my spine, my spinal engine could go. So that helped me, but I was also coming from a perspective of like, okay, well, I can't side bend at all. I can't rotate at all. I can't flex or extend my spine at all. I don't have any spinal mobility because I've been bracing my core for the last 10 years well, and in, in maximal fashion. Also, like, what's what's the goal there? It's just more and more and more flexibility and having more and more and more end range, basically. Be, being as strong as you can in the most, uh, the biggest end ranges, right? I, I watched some of this stuff on uh, Instagram where he's doing, you know, like really wide stance, uh, you know, uh, squats, super low, or he's using his range of strength. But can it be yeah. applied to outside of lifting objects? Is he able to move better? Is he more supple? Like, this is my goal. So the type of flexibility and strength that he's displaying wouldn't fit inside my paradigm, right? Like a, uh, how I would structure things. But maybe at a point in your life when, you know, you're, the problems that you're having are because of, you know, being too tight from lifting and chronically being tense and, you know, ha being tight all the time with your fascia. Maybe that sort of training at that point in your life would make sense, right? Um, going back to like a, like a yoga or Edo Portal, right? Like I never really did yoga. Um, so I can't really speak on it too much. When I hear yoga, I kind of split it into spiritual. And I don't really want to touch that because I don't know too much about it. And I, the practice itself of the movement in the body, right? So... In that sort of way, when I've done it, the few times that I have, it's been kind of arbitrary. You know, like to me, it's get in this predetermined position and go, and your body will just figure it out, right? Predetermined shape, and you're, you know, when you're doing the class, you're flowing quickly. If you're restricted in your body, it's really hard to get in these positions. You don't know how to stay safe. None of that is really addressed in the class setting. So to me, it's kind of arbitrary. Some positions may help you, some may hinder you, right? I, I just think there's a better way to do it if we're talking in terms of fixing your body. Um, at points in your life, could it help? Absolutely, right? So um, I'm speaking very broadly here. Um, and in terms of functional range conditioning, moving the joints in their ranges of motion all day, I think this is a great baseline for almost anybody. Anybody can start doing this at any age. Um, the only disagreement I would have in general is that I think it needs to be put into a pattern quickly, okay? And we can argue over the pattern. I don't think FRC would uh, recognize something like a GOTA and say that that is true movement, like that is the way. Basically, I don't think an FRC would say that GOTA movement is the right pattern or that there is a proper way to walk. I think they claim that there's not. So the best way to stay healthy is to make sure you have capacity at all your joints 
and you'll be able to express them however you want. Okay, so um, yeah, I'm I'm more in the camp of there is a better way to move, and yeah. why not why not articulate your joints as a baseline just to keep them healthy, and then you can integrate them. Well, so that's that's you know at, at the end of the day, that's where we are now, right? And and we we obviously we took a path to get there. Like even with the range of strength stuff, like things I'll still give to him. He still did dynamic stretching, and there was still a, a, uh, like an emphasis on elasticity and range as well. So it wasn't just like holding these static positions. It was still, you know, like you're still doing kicks and you're still doing, you know, these rotations where your pecs are stretching. Like there's still there's still a, an element of dynamic flexibility and elasticity that you're maintaining in his training methodology. He doesn't just stay, you know, just load it or just sit here in the stretch until you relax. Like just like he like any like he he's probably one of the most educated people in flexibility and end range that I've ever met. You know, um, he's he's done more. What's the actual like uh, thought process behind end range? Like, what's the science saying? What's he saying? See, behind see, it? Like, what makes you more flexible? Why, like, flexible quickly? What's he saying? So, so hold on. I want to I want to rewind too and and go back to like you know the what's the goal part right? Like for him, I think it's strength and length. That's it. Like for its own sake, right? There's no. There's no saying it's like, if you do this, then you're going to be more athletic. If you do this, then you will be, you know, like better at running or better at whatever. Like you will have freedom of range. Like your joints will not be bound up. You'll be able to move your joints through and ranges and you'll be stronger. You know, like you'll you'll be able to squat more weight. He literally has a program called uh, uh, Splits and Squats, Squats and Splits. And it's literally that. It's work on your front and side splits while also getting a bigger back squat so that you have, you know, and, and basically it's like maybe you'll live pain-free because you have such end range strength in, in all the ranges of your body. And because you can handle all the ranges, you're not going to have any pain in any of them because your body is naturally just sitting in these things. So that's the goal. You know, what does what does it actually say about, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot that science says about flexibility and end range there's like you know well over 20,000 papers i think he just posted that to it's like over 20,000 papers just on on the subject of flexibility alone that have been published and wow. you can you can talk about the tissue adaptation thing so i mean i remember that one of the first things he got us to read was a paper on the fact that when you do stretching and you do flexibility work there are actual tissue adaptations in length of the actual tissues there is the neurological component so Obviously, you're holding yourself in certain patterns. It's neurological holding patterns. So your end range is based on your body holding the muscle tightness in certain areas so that it will protect your joint, thinking that it's not safe, right? So if you're if you're developing strength in these end ranges, then your nervous system learns to trust that that end range is a safe position and it'll allow you to go into it and you'll be able to handle it with the strength, right? The obvious opposite is if someone is hypermobile or hyperflexible, hyper they don't have that neurological protection and they can actually damage their joints because they don't have any strength in that end range. That's actually yeah. like, you could say neurological flaw, right? Well, that's like, I see that in the office all the time. It's true. Hmm. You know, like uh, <laughs> you, need, you need to know where your end ranges are. You personally, like as an individual, you need to know where your joints can go and where they can't go, where they're restricted and what's compensating for it, right? So you do that by using them, okay? There's a lot of times like a, a person hasn't felt their body for a long time and they're just compensating constantly. Most people are walking around, right? 
right? And uh, it's good practice. Like everybody should have an FRC practice where they're feeling their joints constantly and moving them. Because it's the first thing to go. And on most people, it's the system that's going to stop your muscular system eventually. You know what I mean? If you have arthritic joints from lifting all the time, your muscles are just aren't going to fire. They're going to be held tight by your nervous system. Uh, I, I That's what Lucas Aaron is saying about it as well, right? Like basically you have to work those end ranges and you're, because you're doing that and strengthening that, it's going to give you more capacity at the joint. Yeah. True. Which, yeah. which, I mean, that was, that was my experience as well, right? Like that's, that's kind of how I felt in my body while I was doing it. The issue is when I stopped doing it, I actually maintained a lot of flexibility, like, like many months after not doing it, like my, my cold front split and my hand, like I can still do a full pike with my hands and, and feet flat on the ground without too much, you know, rounding of my back. And like, I have, I still have a ton of flexibility in my body from after, after doing it. Um, and go ahead. Well, my, my whole thing is like, does it transfer to gait? For me personally, my goals, I want to get better at moving and movement is yeah. like real, like I'm running, I can cut, I can, you know, uh, jump, I can duck, I can do anything in a 360 plane really well and efficient. Okay. Mm. Um, does it, does the flexibility from there transfer into those type of motions? Um, Dude, I think it could. I, I think it yeah, could in in, sort of in, in concept. I think it could. And the reason I say that is because like the range of motion that I gained in my hips, for example, like a lot of the go to work that I'm doing now, like drop ins and some of the some of the like the I can feel where it's pulling and I can feel the the range that I that I need to to do some of these movements and and even just have the the openness and the the options within my hips. Like I think that yeah, it does to a degree now. If you just do that, you aren't going to get better at gait necessarily. If you, you want, focus on, here's the thing. You want to pull, you, pull something up? Yeah. So we can talk about it as like we see it. But uh, sorry, go on, go on with that. One of the. Yeah, what I, what I mean is like, if you're watching your gait and you know that there's an obvious restriction in like, you know, for example, I, I did a slow motion video of myself running and I posted and I tagged, uh, you know, Coach Gill who's one of the, he's the, the, the OG of, of Goda. And he, he literally watched, he was like, your, your right hip is still bound up, right? Okay, cool. So, you know, I can do all these Goda movements too, but I have this flexibility work and I know how to open up my hip very, very quickly. And I can actually go within these ranges and use the flexibility techniques that Lucas taught me in the context of improving my gait. I don't necessarily think that like, you know, will, will doing a front split help you with, you know, okay, you have really strong hip flexors when you are in a front split position because you're 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 literally supporting your your whole weight with your hip flexor and your hamstring, right? So, you know, in theory, like you can you you can still have like if you're running in your gait, like your the tissues are stronger, right? You still need to train the gait pattern. You still need to to have the flexibility in the context of the gait pattern. You still need the freedom of movement through the hips. Still need the ability to create a bow because your your hips and your spine are moving in conjunction with one another, and it can help in terms of that. It's not necessarily, you know. I think the question is, it's like it's not will flexibility work help gait? It's like it will if you're bound up, right? It's also will doing the front splits help your gait? Probably not because it's not gait work. It's splits work, right? You can still, you know, it'll it's it's tissue strengthening and not in the context of of gait 
efficiency and, and pure biomechanics. Is there a place for it? I think there is. For me, what it was is it was reversing damage that I did for years over lifting. And I think that I accomplished in three months what I probably would have accomplished in three years of just doing straight go to work trying to trying to do like their supplements exercises, doing like thousands of child rockers versus doing some of the spinal mobility freedom things that I did with Lucas. Like I undid so much damage that I had done to myself in my lifting in three months of working with him that would have taken years for me to reverse by just focusing on biomechanics. Possibly, I'm just speculating there. I can't tell. I've never done it, so this is all new to me. Uh, and to be honest, I'm not really like, I've never been into flexibility in terms of like looking at the next level of it, right? Yeah. Um, looking at all the papers and being obsessed with it and trying to learn. Um, basically, my flexibility knowledge comes down to um, what Andrea Spina says about it, or, or the way I understand it anyway, is focus on the capsules, um, lengthen through, and make sure you own your range of motion. So if I work on the capsule, and I'll tell you the way I do it, I do soft tissue work inside my capsules to switch the neurological drive in there. So after I do soft tissue work on myself, whether it be uh, rolling the way I have a special way to do it, uh, cupping, I have a special way to do it. I'll go around the joint, loosen it up so that the neurological drive is different. Then I'll do go to drop-ins and or something along those lines, depending on what my goal is. My goal is always to make my gait better, okay, and movement better. So um, basically, I soften up the capsule, massage it, different techniques, stimulate it, then do movements that are real life uh, Mimicking real life motions. Okay. And that's how I get more quote unquote flexible in my actual movements. Now, am I going to end range statically? Probably not. Right. Not with my muscles, not all the time. That's not usually the goal. The goal is to get in a better position with my uh, capsule of my joint. Let's say it's the hip with it relaxed and with it in a good position. And then I play with that. Hmm. And, and, you know, I, I like that too, because like you're, you're doing a lot of, like you said, with the cupping and everything, you're, you're changing the neurological drive, like with flexibility work, it's, it's literally that you're changing the neurological drive, but rather than by, you know, through like a physical manipulation, you're doing it through teaching your body how to be strengthened that strong in that end range, right. Or strong in that particular range and that affects the drive, right. So it's, you know, the, the, the difference, I think it's like a difference of approach, like where, where the, the training method is to like, basically flexibility. I think the goal is to change that neurological drive versus you're doing physical manipulation to change the neuro, neurological drive so that you can develop strength in the range or the pattern that is specific to gait biomechanics. No, no, I, I don't really like when I'm doing it on a regular day, I don't really care about strength so much. I'm trying to feel the position with a joint that's not as tense, right? So um, I'm trying to get in the position with my joint comfortable. I think there is a difference between strengthening, quote unquote, strengthening with weights at your end range and what happens at your joint during a run, okay? It's way more dynamic when you're running than when you're static with a weight, okay? So I don't actually believe it's as transferable as I think people would assume or are assuming at the moment. Okay. I think that they're different. So if I can make my, if I can practice and what the drop-in is, 
for my hip is particular my landing position onto earth every single time I step. So if I can practice a perfect step with my body relaxed and with my joints relaxed, I'm going to do that before I go into end range and try to strengthen, you know, like in a splits position or something like that. So, so if, well, this is, this is still really interesting, right? Cause a lot of, a lot of flexibility training, there is the, there, there is the end range strengthening, but there is also like that, that's one side of it. The other side of it is learning how to relax in the Right, that's what basically what static stretching is trying to uh, teach or coax the nervous system to sort of relax that joint as much as you can. Right, so again, I, I still think flexibility work as a broad umbrella concept has its place in gait mechanics, and even even just what you were saying is like you know the the, the manual release therapy going into a, a a thing where you're trying to ease into these these ranges or these patterns. Whilst, while keeping your joints as relaxed as possible. Um, I got to also say, I'm a little biased because I'm actually like good friends with Lucas at this point. Like he, he helped me a lot and we, we've talked a lot outside of the context of just like our, so I, I am coming up with a, with a bit of a bias when I'm, when I'm trying to defend some of his ideas. Um, yeah, and I also sure. just have the, I have the anecdotal uh, experience of having felt good while I was training and having, having like lasting effects of feeling good in my body afterwards, right? Um, hey, that's really what it comes down to, right? Like, if it feels good and it's long term doesn't harm you, then you're doing probably something right, right? Like, you yeah. don't feel the pains afterwards. Sometimes you'll do something that feels good and it hurts right after. But if it's sustained over a period of time and you feel better in your body, then all the, the best to you, right? Because it's like, I can only theorize because I haven't done it what that type of training would do. The only reason I theorize that it wouldn't work as well is because I don't need like the ranges of motion that I need for gait, I have that. So it's like my demands beyond that are not excessive. Like I don't care at this point in my life to do an extreme range of motion maneuver, right? Now, could it be that let's say I'm skiing and my leg goes flying in a direction that could save me having length in my, you know, let's say a ductor or something like that? It's possible, right? I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, there, there, there's a few interesting arguments against stretching and especially static stretching, right? One is that it affects ligament length and it affects, well, it makes, creates laxity in some of these structures that are supposed to remain tense and remain this, like, at a certain level of tension. And if you remove that tension, then that's when you can create dysfunction in movement over time, right? Like, even Naudi Aguilar, uh, about two years ago, outwardly said, you know, the only thing passive stretching does is disintegrate the body. Every day, millions stretch thinking that flexibility, thinking that the flexibility that they're instituting is actually helping them. It isn't. Doing the exact opposite of that. Functioning better means having more isolated range of motion to you. We aren't seeing the same things. I used to teach people to stretch until I started trying to get them to move better. When their gait cycle showcased problems I didn't understand, I stretched and released muscles on them only to see the problem get worse every time. Someone had a back, uh, backpack or a knee, neck or knee pain. It would subside if I instituted passive forms of uh, manipulation on them. With time, though, other problems would occur. So again, he's he's saying that it's like it's it's like this short-term thing that makes you feel good. Long-term will cause dysfunction, especially in gait and in these well, patterns that are are foundational to functional movement. With static stretching, I use it as 
again, just feeling my body out, right? I like to do just like go to the end range of the muscle and that's it, right? Like I don't hold it. And the reason I don't is because your body's going to adapt to whatever you do. If you constantly elongate your tissues, you're going to elongate your tissues, but it also makes it less elastic. So you're going to be relying on your joints more in, in my mind, theorizing, right? You're going to be relying on your end ranges a lot more, which you may not have control of during a dynamic motion, right? So not only am I missing the elasticity now because I've static stretched so many months in a row that it, my elasticity isn't helping me out. So I'm not as efficient. I also don't know where my end ranges are and I may be banging up against them really quick because the, that elasticity is gone. So in that context, I think Naudi's right. You may be kind of scrambling your nervous system to know where it is at all times, which to me is one of the most important things. To know where all my joints are going to be as I'm moving is very key. I want it to be subconscious and I want it to be instant. And that, like, if they're, they land in the right positions, if you're always in balance with your body, you won't get hurt in general. Yeah. I, uh, you know, and, and what, what you just said too, like about like knowing where your, your body is in space too. Like I, I, I'm very, very new to prioritizing uh gait cycle and biomechanics in general, even after, cause I just finished the range of strength certification at the start of the year. And then I went right into Ben Patrick's knees over toes stuff like the ATG. Cause he used to be associated with him when he split, I was like, oh shit, like I really wanted to check out his stuff. So I signed up for the ATG system and I did it for maybe half a year or more. And like, I'd been studying Ben Patrick stuff kind of on the side for a little while because I'm fascinated by it. But again, like I got into that. The reason that I got into Gota in the first place is because I saw a bunch of Gota guys on Instagram criticizing it. I, sh I found it on Instagram one day, showed up in my feed. Um, and it was like, look at his, look at his inside ankle bone collapsing when he's doing these long lunges that I've been doing for the last six Right. So I was like, huh, what, what are these guys talking about? And I started to dive into it. The reason I got into Gota is just because it makes so much intuitive sense. Um, you know, I, like I said, I'd still been waiting for uh, a surgery on my shoulder. And so I'm, I'm kind of like feeling a little sensitive about the whole, like what's making my tissues degenerate. Like what, like I've had so many damn injuries, in my training career. I've been in so much pain throughout my, my different training career. And I've been, the reason I got into things like range of strength, the reason I got into Edo Portal, the reason I got into gymnastics bodies and even ATG, like there's gotta be a way to train where my body just feels awesome. There's got to be a reason that my body doesn't feel good every time I throw, you know, a, a certain training methodology at it. Because like tra training is supposed to make you, your body stronger and more resilient, not break it down all the time. Yeah, you do have to break down tissues in order to rebuild them, I guess. But like, it just, it didn't make sense to me. So when I found the Gota stuff, when I found this idea that there was a, like, and again, you pointed this out before. The, the differences between Gota and almost any other training system is that they're proposing that there is a universal way to move, period. Right? Their, their whole theory is based around a universal right way to move that they observed by watching thousands of hours of a slow motion tape and seeing exactly the patterns that are associated with injury and the patterns that are associated with longevity and resiliency. So when I, when I read about that, I was like, well, for shit's sake, like this, maybe this is it. 
you know, and I, I, I kind of like, I did the thing that I normally do. I started just emulating the things that I see instead of actually talking to them. Now I'm actually talking, like, you know, I've talked to you who, who's probably dove deeper into it than I had. Uh, I bought their courses. I talked to, you know, I'm talking to Ricky and, and Gary a lot more who focus more on the athletic training side of it. They have the GLS training facility in Louisiana. And, uh, and it's mind boggling that, you know, focusing on this, like, like I'm never sore, like I'm never in pain. I'm never like, I never have like a creaky ache or anything focusing on this stuff. I, I am, if I stop moving and I just sit in a chair for like three straight days and I miss, I miss a movement practice for, you know, a week or something, they get busy, but I, I don't do that. Right. And so, so it's, it's this universal way to move that respects, again, it's trying to respect the natural design of human biomechanics and focusing on that specifically it moves you away from where my approach was like, okay, how can I get my joints as strong as possible? Or how can I get my muscles as strong as possible? Or how can I, you know, how can I make myself super resilient or super flexible? Or how can I have the strongest end range? It was like, how can I move the way my body was supposed to move? And how can I program my body to move the way my body was supposed to move and rest the way it's supposed to rest? Like right now, I'm working really hard on trying to program my resting postures. And like, I'm trying to sit in a squat and I'm trying to, spend more time on the floor when I'm at work and stuff. I'm in a chair right now doing, doing this stuff. My, my legs have been back in different ways and like I'm trying to get into different positions, right? Um, it's, it was a paradigm shift for me. And that's, you know, ultimately I, I stumbled on it by accident. You know, I'm not gonna lie. It was, it was some, one of these things that was like, oh shit. Yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> I got dropped, like I remember I dropped a, uh video in your inbox or something like that. I was like, which way is this bone supposed to spin? Right? And then like, I think yeah. you got it right away. You were just like, okay, mm -hmm. if the bones are spinning in opposite directions, that's what I like about Goda. It's like, observe and ask questions, right? And they're like, we've observed these patterns over and over. We should probably give them some credence. Um, mm -hmm. Now people have been looking at slow motion for a long time, but it all depends on what you're looking at, right? Yeah. Um, I know because I was obsessed with this stuff. I was looking at everybody's you know, assessment style before. Um, I was a member of the gate guys community. They're like, you know, 50 bucks a month. You're getting their one assessment per month thing. And they're like the top academics. They have the best research. I'm looking into all these different things. Right. And nobody's like, keep your ankle bone high. Everyone's <laughs> zoning in on the, you know, what degrees does this move? What, how does this move compared to that little bone? Right. And they're probably off on it anyway. Because who are you studying in those studies? So go to the first one to be like, here's a checklist. Boom, 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 boom. If you want to look farther into it, cool. You want to prove that uh, there's a landing position called the bow? Then we can watch the bow happen over and over and over and over again. And then we can argue the nuances of it. But mm -hmm. people are like, at this point, there's some, some people just denying that there's something to talk about, right? But getting back to how I kind of uh, got into functional move, functional practice, right? So, cause at the start, again, I thought it was like kind of a CrossFit thing, right? Like you go and you're able to do tasks, that's functional movement. Now I'm like, functional movement is actually mastery of your own body, the way it was designed primarily to move, okay? That may or may not have something to do with lifting objects or manipulating objects, but it is you own your body as, much as possible in endurance durable position okay right. i found Goda to be the most accurate and 
a, literally a paradigm shift in how to assess the body, right? And I'm a, I'm a chiropractor. I've assessed, you know, hundreds or thousands of people at this point. And I was like, mm, you know what, this GOTA assessment is probably a better way, <laughs> like better than what I'm doing in the, um, in the model that I'm doing in the office. Cause it's really just part by part. And you kind of have to do that with pain because people are coming into you with pain. It's a whole different variable, right? So I'm not saying that I'm doing it wrong, but adding GOTA into my, all right, like my assessment now, it's just accelerating results. And uh, in my own personal practice, I'm way less, like I have no pain in my body. I have a labral tear from skiing. Don't even feel that anymore because I'm so into um, the nuances of the motion that it just doesn't have a have time to accumulate on itself anymore. I used to walk around and have a hip grinding, nothing now, right? Yeah. So yeah. anecdotally as well, it, it's worked for me quite well. Now I have done FRC in the past as my like baseline and I still keep that somewhat, but it's replaced mostly by go to pattern. Yeah. So basically in terms of where we both have come to our first priority, is to understand and pattern in the natural biomechanics of the way the human body is supposed to move, which has been basically kind of the code was cracked by Gota, you know, the, the greatest well, of all time I mean, actions, the greatest of all time. That's, that's, you know, like, that's, that's what we've been, you know, we're, we're trying to make a case for that, more or less. Funny, like this, half this podcast is defending Gota principles, but it's also because it's just like the most common sense shit in the fucking world, right? You well, that's what I do on a daily basis now. It's like, yeah. that's how I, uh, how I operate in my own personal practice because I want what works. I don't care yeah. about theory. Like, it, like, hit me up with your theory. If it's good, I'm going to start to integrate it. And if it doesn't make sense, if it doesn't feel better, if it doesn't make me move better, then it's gone, you know? So Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So let's do a quick speed round because we are now at a place where we're, we're prioritizing biomechanics in terms of trying to create the best patterns for how our bodies are meant to move. You said that FRC is also a good baseline because you also should have good joint function on top of that, right? So in terms of like first and second order priorities, like movement biomechanics and then joint function, you know, is this like, they, they kind of go hand in hand. I, but I want to kind of do... I want to do a quick speed round with you and kind of talk about every method that we kind of we, we discussed today and what you would take away from it and what you would ditch. So let's start with bodybuilding. If you were going to keep something from bodybuilding and how you train now or or prioritize training now, and then what and and we can just assume everything else you would leave. The one thing I would take from bodybuilding is um, isometric, meaning that like holding still and feeling your muscles in different various positions. Okay, that can be integrated with all kinds of different uh, systems like FRC. I think Lucas Aaron probably does a lot of isometric holds, like yep. holding and, and squeezing and feeling muscles. So that would be more along the lines of what kind of like Ben Pakulski, he's a bodybuilder, but thinks of it more in a very, I would say linear biomechanical way, but I can take that and hold isometric positions and it feels great. Cool. And then we'll just ditch the rest. From powerlifting, what would you keep? Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, the ability to, uh, what's it called? Tense my body to like hold that initial tension. You know, when you're getting under a bar and you're like, you get that tension, 
that's yeah. valuable. That's like, I can use that in real life, that like quick tension. Um, I, I want to release it fast as well, usually in sport, but definitely powerlifting taught me a lot of that. I would also keep, you know, one thing that I noticed in powerlifting is that when you're trying to access new ranges of motion, like if, you know, when you, I could always squat deeper if I was tensor, right? And, and you can actually, yeah. I, I found that my nervous system would learn new patterns if I was integrating some form of tension in with it, right? So um, I agree with the isometric thing with bodybuilding. I would also say that like tension in general is great for learning new patterns. Um, I'll even, you know, I have, I have a torque stick. If you've ever watched like Strong Camps on Instagram, like he has this torque stick. It's like this spring with two handles and you bend it. It forces your whole body to torque up. And then I'll do a, like a bunch of drop-ins with that. And it feels, I can actually feel it coding into my nervous system faster. I don't know if it, actually it does a thing but like i just feel the integration of my nervous system is a little bit stronger when i'm maintaining that tension and practicing movements under tension again i practice it without tension because i don't want to brace my core all the time and eliminate my spinal engine by well, having just... an excessively tight and excessively toned core but i think that tension you know even in the context of you know having to lift something heavy out of your car you still need that i agree yeah no like um I'm not completely against tensing the core. There's times where you have to do it. So you have to be really good at it and you have to be quick at it, right? Um, I'm just saying that it shouldn't be all the types of training. You have to release your core. You have to let it go with the way your body is moving and synchronize your body. Not so much keep it tense if you want your body to be in sync and in rhythm, okay? Um, this is not embraced by any of the mainstream models. Um, it's, I think they would look at it as too complex but I think Gota has simplified it. That's my whole argument there. Um, and another thing with the bodybuilding, or no, with powerlifting, having to understand the position, the neutral position is of utmost importance in uh, powerlifting, especially, and that's super valuable because like, func or, uh, like uh, functional pattern says, I use it as a anchor position, meaning mm -hmm. a position I always know to go back to. And when you're learning movement and getting better with your body, if you have a position that you always know 100% you can go back to, that's safe, it helps you a, a, as a baseline to move into more complex motions. Cool. So neutral spine position, um, you know, as, as the baseline, we keep that. As an anchor position. As an anchor position. All right. So let's go into CrossFit. What would you keep about CrossFit and what would you do? Ooh. Keep about CrossFit in terms of like getting the population to exercise, like having that community, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you can integrate what I would say is GOTA and CrossFit together in that community vibe where people are uplifting each other and, you know, um, you can still do those types of almost like bridge the fitness world into more of like a functional movement world. That would be very ideal, I think, in terms of a population, like keeping everybody healthy. Okay. Um, Is there anything about the level, training method? Yeah, yeah. About the training methodology specifically, because I agree. Like the the community aspect was the best thing about CrossFit for me. I loved it. That's why I coached it for so long, even though I didn't practice it myself. You know, for almost like a year or more now. The variety of CrossFit, the variety of movements in CrossFit, is on another level from any of the mainstream, the other mainstream like fitness uh, modalities. CrossFit is way more all encompassing than all of them. And I love how they focus on 
perfecting the motion. Even though I wouldn't agree with all the motions and how they put it together, I think there's something there, a, a base that you can take and uh, it would be great. So variety of movement, but you would ditch the movements that they are having variety with. You would have a variety. I, I wouldn't ditch them completely. I would modify them. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so modifying and maybe dropping a few of them that would be like really sure. dysfunctional, like a sure. <laughs> like sumo high pull. Yeah, and like, like I, I mean, I don't want to speculate. We could have a whole show on how to we will put CrossFit into like a more functional uh, type of thing. But right now, I just want to. That's the basics of it, right? I would um, keep what I said earlier. Yeah, I would personally with CrossFit, I would keep the um, the work capacity focus. Yeah. Where it's, you know, there there is some strength bias programming, but for the most part, CrossFit works on building work capacity. And um, and I mean, basically, your ability to withstand load for longer periods of time. It works your anaerobic, your aerobic capacity. And it works so many different energy systems, uh, but I would, ditch, I would ditch most of the movement patterns that are practiced. I would ditch a lot of the Olympic lifting. I would change to more forward locomotion emphasis, and I would... I basically have you know, the wad style thing, the variation thing, like all of that is great. It's fine. It works over time, but I would have the, I would just replace most of the movements with more functional variations that respect, uh, you know, the way the body's supposed to and, well, and emphasize the patterns, locomotive patterns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, I know you haven't practiced yoga yourself, but you have treated a lot of yoga students. Is there anything that you would keep about yoga and Anything breath work, yeah. Breath work, I would say, is number one, hundred um, percent. I like how it's a low tone activity, like nervous system wise. You can really integrate the essence of like, like calming yourself and being introspective in your body. Um, the actual physical practice of uh, elongating your muscles for a long time, I would argue against the uh, validity of that with with regards to bringing it towards locomotion for most people. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, I would I would honestly ditch most of the traditional physical yoga postures while maintaining the, like you said, the mindful approach, the low tone approach where you're slowly moving through these movements while focusing on nothing else. The ability to, like I would, I would keep even the structure of the yoga class with the mats and the blowing through the whole pattern for an hour, 45 minutes. Um, but I would change the the nature of the physical postures entirely. The breath work, the mindfulness, the getting in your body is indispensable, but the way that it's approached is largely dysfunctional. I, would I don't know yoga enough about like all the types of yoga to give a complete uh, answer on that. You know, but like from what I see in Western yoga, where it's like holding position for a long time, it could feel good for a, a few times. I wouldn't practice it though. That's yeah. just. Well, I mean, I, I think of I think of Ashtanga yoga, which is like a pretty popular fixed series of postures. Um, it was one of the first early popular sequences in the West, and uh, you know, even within Ashtanga practitioners, a lot of them say, "Well, should we change the fixed sequence because we're seeing a lot of injury, right?" And it's inherently like it shows dysfunction within it. You're, I think a lot of Ashtanga sets you up for long-term hip or knee replacement, you know? Um, and that's that's the, the standard that I go is like yoga is kind of founded on a lot of yoga flow movements, like 
power yoga stuff. It's all founded around these base postures that were introduced by Ashtanga yoga. Ashtanga yoga was like really the sort of foundation. You could say Hatha yoga as well, even Hatha yoga. You can look at the postures and, and identify like a gazillion different ways that it's dysfunctional. Even look at a warrior too, you have the inside ankle bone collapsing. You're not producing proper gait mechanics. You're hyper like externally rotating your hip. Like there's all kinds of stuff that just doesn't make sense biomechanically for why you would prioritize, again, prior, it's the nervous system priority. Why are you programming these patterns into your nervous system? Why are you, when you're, when you're feeling insecure and you're practicing feeling secure in these postures, why are you prioritizing that over other movements? So I would just ditch most of the, you know, traditional yoga postures. From a therapy end of it, like the injuries I see is it's mostly, um, overall, what I see is, when you elongate your tissues, you have to put more stress in the joints. Okay. Now you are tuning your body daily. You're getting your joints in motion. That's all good. But if it moves into a dynamic environment where you're, let's say snowboarding and you have all this range of motion, but no elasticity and connection in your tissues, it could spell trouble. Also people who are already flexible tend to be good at yoga. So you start to do it more and more and more. And then it could be a problem because now you're hyper flexible, hyper mobile, and you're already good at this, so you keep going and going and going, and it presents problems at the very end. Yeah. So what would you keep about, we did, we did everything. What would you keep about the Edo Portal method, and what would you ditch? Uh, me personally, uh, with the Edo Portal method, I, I loved getting into it because it was the first thing that, like, even though it was on the ground, it was a lot of pretending to be a monkey, basically animal flow. <laughs> you're spinning around, you're starting to do these three dimensional motions and feel connections between your body that traditional training just doesn't even touch. Right. And it feels good to like move your body like that. It feels like a natural way to move. The only difference is I like to do things on two feet because 99% of your life is on two feet. Now I do think there's value in some crawling patterns met immense value. But to do the capoeira style, that's more getting into a sport, right? Where you're like, more like breakdancing as a sport, right? So there's, there's value in it, and you can pick up the value, but I would keep it mostly on the feet for the most part, 80-20. Now, if you're into it, because it is fun, right? Yep. Maybe 30-40% if you're getting into it, right? But... Um, I would keep most, if your goal is movement and longevity, keep it on your feet for the most part, other than practicing crawling patterns. And, and for me, you know, Edo Portal method was a lot about movement exploration. Uh, yes. I, would, I would keep the exploratory element of it and, and to, be, to, to remain curious within your movement, to experiment with different patterns that, you know, even if you understand, like, that there's a way that your body is supposed to move, there are gazillions of ways to experiment with movement within that. Framework. I would also keep uh, some of the brachiation work and some of the hanging work that he does for shoulder health. Because I do find that, like, in terms of most people who, you know, sit at a desk or, like, who, who just in general have shoulder issues, which is I, the vast majority of people, hanging work resolves a lot of it. And I've, that, that's just been my observation. Um, hanging from a bar on a regular basis is just something that's nice. It's not a priority in movement for either of us, I'm pretty sure. But I think having it as just like a regular thing that you do where you can hang comfortably from, a, from, from anything is just a good thing to, to have. And he I actually somewhat disagree with that. 
Do you? Because uh, my shoulders have never been felt better, and I do zero hanging. And I used to do so much hanging, and my shoulders hurt a lot, right? So maybe there's a maybe there's a medium there, right? But I just don't think brachiation itself is so much of a priority in human movement, right? Like it can be trained, and it is like there is a component, right, to movement, like climbing and and those type of patterns. But the way it's done with like um, gymnastics and Edo Portel, it, it, it's more along the lines of gymnastics, right? Mm. So um, the hanging work, I'm still kind of up in the air on it. I personally uh, felt otherwise with that, but maybe there's a happy medium there that I just haven't found. Yeah, fair. And, and uh, you know, again, like I'm not going to argue with your personal experience. I also haven't been doing a lot of uh, any hanging work because I have a torn labrum. Right. And, and like my shoulder and I can't hang, like I literally can't just do like a straight arm hang right now. My shoulder, ironically, you know, my other shoulder feels awesome because I've been doing more, you know, pec elasticity and thoracic rotation, roping stuff. My shoulders feel great. Right. And I haven't done any hanging, but my experience, and again, maybe it's the context of someone who does a lot of lifting or has a lot of, uh, you know, if you, if your lats are overdeveloped or something, maybe that's a good way to reverse some of the damage is just, you know, it's the it's the again the stability through length argument um and what that does to the structure of your shoulder when you hang over time the adaptations from hanging could be beneficial in the short term for some people i think it depends on the shoulder itself right like an frc functional range conditioning would argue that if you can't get your shoulder in a certain position that you shouldn't hang right so if you have clearance if you're the type of person whose shoulder clears like the ball and socket clears and there's nothing Mm -hmm. getting in the way it could be fine could be great but if your shoulder's already blocked if you have an issue in there then it could be a problem and that comes from the therapy what would you keep from goda or no not goda let's let's go functional patterns first because goda is kind of our end our end game right what would you keep from functional patterns and what would you ditch from um what i would keep with functional patterns is the sling systems is his concept of sling systems like you integrating your fascia together so it works in sequence. Okay, I think he was big on that. Um, and, and I really like that and I still use that to this day. Now, do I use it exactly like he does? Probably not. I don't like to be honest, to get his like next level information, you kind of have to enter the group. So I'm not so much interested in that. Um, I think I have a good way to do it at this point, integrating fascia into the GOTA system so basically practicing go to patterns and making myself elastic out of those patterns. Now, um, I have practiced a lot of WEC method and, and things like that too. So I integrate many different systems into one. So I don't just do go to itself, but I definitely use that as my baseline now. And I integrate what I learned from function, functional patterns into that. And that is the elasticity of your tissues. Work that to help you in your motion. Cool. And so, so what would you, so because you don't specifically just do go to training, right? You use it as a baseline. What would you keep? And is there anything in go to, cause again, we kind of sound like go to fanboys almost every episode. Is there anything in the, in the system that you would let go of or that you have let go of? Um, uh, I wouldn't say let go of so far. Like I'm still exploring the system, right? Like, I'm, I'm integrating it really well. I've loved the results. I'm still exploring it. I'm trying to bring it to the next level in terms of like what I've, you know, my own practice and uh, how I do it. Um, 
for the most, like, I think they don't like rope work as much. I think they don't like, you know, uh, what, are, what is it called? Like, um, uh, mace bells, kettlebells, things like that. Yeah. I think there, you could integrate that with Goda and be very successful with it. But the footwork is the most important. And I do agree that uh, most people don't get the footwork right and then just start swinging implements and it doesn't match what the body is doing. So the synchronicity isn't there. Um, I was guilty of this before, but now that I know, I, like I have the footwork down pretty well, I can integrate mm -hmm. them a lot better. So I disagree with them in that context that, you know, I shouldn't use the ropes or, and I don't think they say don't use the ropes. I just don't see them value it as much. Right. Right. So figure eight patterns along with Goda, <laughs> you know, like, all right, there you go. Yeah. That's basically, that's, you can, you can summarize our training ideas in terms of that, like go to principles with figure eights. There you go. Done. Yeah. <laughs> so guys, this is the art of move podcast episode nine. If you're curious about how we got to this point, um, hopefully this gave you a, a cool perspective on our, our training history, gives you a little bit of perspective on what to take away from different training methodologies. And again, our goal the, the goal that we're working on, right? The, the goal of bodybuilding is bigger muscles. The goal of powerlifting is lifting heavier in three specific patterns. The goal of, you know, Edo Portal is to be able to have freedom of movement in all these different movement patterns. Um, there's always different goals. And the goals that we're trying to orient ourselves towards is longevity of movement and to honor the natural biomechanics, to find truth of how the human body is supposed to move and then to maximize those capabilities, right? So forward locomotion, uh, we've, we've covered all the principles of what we believe the way the human body is supposed to move up until this point on our previous episodes. So go check out the replays on that. If you're listening on Spotify, you're listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a quick like or subscribe. Uh, feel free to send me an email at media at nofilter.net or to message Will on at the art of move on Instagram. And we hope you're enjoying these episodes. If you guys have any questions, if you ever have any topics that you want us to discuss, if you want to debate us on anything that we're talking about, feel free to, you know, just shoot us a message and hop on. These are always recorded live on nofilter.net, which is a live interactive platform where you can ask questions in the chat box. You can hit the knock button and request to join the stream directly so that you can actually debate us on the episode, which is pretty cool. We always uh, are willing to let people sign on if they have reason to do so so thank you for listening to the art of move this is episode nine we'll be back next week for a few new episodes on finding the truth behind human biomechanics and how we are meant to move hope you're enjoying it so far guys let movement be your medicine guys have a good one <laughs>